0: You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. (laughs) The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen.
1: Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with author, speaker, educator, Marilyn Gist. Marilyn's new book, The Extraordinary Power of Leadership, Humility, Thriving Organizations, and Great Results, theorizes that humility... A deep regard for the dignity of others is the key. Plays out in times of crisis is our topic for today's episode. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal.
1: Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective.
2: Hello, Teresa. Thank you for having me. It's uh, wonderful to be on your show and uh, talk to listeners about workplace perspectives and things related to employment law. That's great. Well, we're so excited,
1: as I said, the intro to have you with us. But before we get started, Marilyn, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about
2: who you are and what you do? Certainly. So I am uh, an author, speaker, educator. I have spent uh, much of my career in higher education at three universities, uh, including those here in Seattle, University of Washington, and Seattle University. Prior to that, I had a career that included management in both the federal sector and uh, in private industry. So I've worked in my academic career with a lot of managers and executives and uh, had some experience in that earlier. And that was Part of my interest in leadership long-term and part of what led me to write the book. That's great.
1: Well, I love your thoughts on leadership. I really do. And your concepts and ideas just speak to me because they echo my thoughts on professionalism and etiquette in the workplace and the idea that really no matter who you are in the company or at what level, we all need to treat one another with, in my training, consideration, respect, and honesty. So maintaining The dignity of others is always really top of my list um, for avoiding legal liability or reducing legal risk uh, in employment law related claims. So your theories of leadership, I'm thinking specifically of the three questions that you have for leadership. Who, Who are you? Where are we going? And do you see me? You think those are really key. And I'd like you to elaborate on that a little bit.
2: Can you? Yes. So these are questions that many people are not going to come out and ask a leader, but they're the things that cross our minds uh, pretty quickly when we meet a new leader, uh, when someone takes a new leadership role as head of a company or a major politician, for example, or we get a new boss, uh, or we just have to work with someone in a different department and they're in a leadership role. Immediately, we want to know, who are you? Meaning behind the name, what kind of person are you? What's your character like? Uh, and we want to know um, where, where are you going? What is it you're asking me to do? Is that someplace I want to go or not? And then of course, do you see me? Do you uh, have an interest in who I am as a person with my needs, my uh, desires, or am I just a cog in the wheel to you, somebody that you view as able to help you uh, move, move along, or perhaps even gain, you know, for yourself, but without being interested in bringing others along. So these three questions are at the top of our minds as we meet and get to work with leaders, and we watch them very carefully for uh, what they say, for actions they take, that kind of give us clues that answer those questions.
1: So those are all sorts of, so you're talking as we're going through, or these are top of mind as we're working with these people, we're forming opinions, we're sort of figuring out where they, you know, where they land on all issues in comparison to the way that we feel about issues. I think that's really interesting. I think that one of the, well, this will kind of fall into the next question. So my thought in having you on the show in the first place, I did want to talk about leadership in a time of crisis. And I know when we were preparing for this show, I was mentioning to you that I thought it was interesting in my little world, the, looking at my clients and the way they handled the pandemic. And in my opinion, there were a number of individuals who were good good workers, good employees, but really weren't shining, weren't really showing uh, those everyday leadership qualities. But boy, pandemic comes along and they are shining. These These people have just, were wonderfully pivoting and were able to take charge of their departments and show true leadership. As you pointed out, yeah, not everybody does that. (laughs) That didn't happen with the people that we expected it to happen with. So I'd love
2: to hear your thoughts on that as well. Well, I don't know that I have a magic answer to that, but I think that the different context calls on uh, different things that we have to offer. Uh, you might have a leader who really gets a lot of energy in being direct contact with the team, has an opportunity kind of day in and day out to get uh, reaffirmation about how good they are. <laughs> uh, whereas in this crisis, what it's done is it's created challenges for all of us who are working from home, as well as for people who are frontline essential workers. So they have different needs that weren't necessarily there before. And uh, a leader who's used to I'm in the game because I want I want something for myself is going to be challenged now in needing to pay much more attention to other members of the team who who might not be able to just carry on in the same way. And yet other people who might have been uh, maybe more quiet, they weren't quite as uh, filled with pizzazz or charisma, uh, so we didn't necessarily think of them as leaders. Have had an opportunity to really rise to this challenge, and some of them have done amazingly well, as you've said.
1: We had a guest on recently who talked about introverts in the workplace, and yeah. it occurred to me, uh, thinking back on that, that I think you're right, and I think it had to do with it. a lot of those. He was an introvert in a leadership position, and a lot of the things that you're talking about would really allow someone like that to shine—someone who likes to think and implement and sit back and, you know, kind of look at the big picture and see where we're going and make plans. And there was lots of that at the beginning of the pandemic. Lots yeah. of time to, I mean, things were changing rapidly but there was still time to get a handle and to plan because planning was the key, planning was the right. big thing. So I think that I think that's a lot of that shining, you know, that possibly why they
2: started shining. Well, I think you're right, and I think we often mistake uh, some of the more extroverted qualities, uh, charisma, uh, enjoying being with people in that more social way as being things that leaders need, but the data doesn't really support that. Uh, Introverted people can lead quite well. In fact, uh, some of the work uh, on leader humility, which, as you know, I've written about, Uh, tends to show that leaders who have humility, who aren't necessarily charismatic, aren't necessarily names that you would recognize, often uh, draw greater support from employees. And part of that is because they're not as focused on what they can get socially out of the situation. They're really more focused on uh, the relationship and what you need. And so some of these people have really risen Another factor, though, Teresa, in this is that our our time demands have shifted. And I think they've shifted in ways that um, may benefit people with a somewhat more introverted personality. You know, we have less time spent in commuting. uh, Mm -hmm. And for people who draw their energy from more solitude, this has given them that additional time to kind of recharge and to think and do the planning you're talking about. Whereas, uh, you know, people who have a strong extroversion have some of them have expressed to me that it's more frustrating, it's more draining to be alone all the time. So maybe that that's been more of a challenge for them. I heard
1: somebody say in a meeting the other day that uh, they did not that one of the reasons they didn't like the Zoom kind of meeting, right, the online meeting was that it seemed to take longer. Because you had to wait till everybody finished talking. Right. And while they were speaking, I thought, well, actually, I think that's kind of a, it's kind of a benefit in some circumstances because one, everybody gets heard. Right. Everybody gets their opportunity in the box to talk, the focus. And you're not having, you're not fighting these side conversations and, right. you know, <laughs> trying to pay attention to too, too much that's going on. And I've noticed that in other groups. So I belong to a group that gets together once a week. And the people that, when we're face to face, are the ones that do most of the talking. Now that we've gone virtual, the people who just kind of sat around and sort of listen and maybe put a comment every now and then are really talking. And I I think it's because they feel like I'm being heard.
2: Right. They they don't have to fight for space as much. They have, as you say, they have their turn in the box. And we do have to have conversation in, in sequence, in you know, one person after another. You can't have two or three people talking at the same time. Uh, Zoom doesn't really support that well. So it's mm. shifted. And I, I think this is actually for the, for the good. I'm hoping that some of the really positive things that have come out of this enforced uh, new way of working will carry forward as we emerge uh, several months from now, I guess. So that's my yeah, hope. Yeah,
1: I hope so too. I, I do miss, I do think that there's some dynamic aspect to be had in a in an environment that's going faster than what we do in Zoom. In other words, right. we're brainstorming and people don't have to wait to speak and that kind of stuff. I do think there's some energy there. But my feeling is that I really hope that there's just an integration. That we can find, especially in the workplace, a way to integrate this really cool virtual technology that we're now all being, you know, given a immersion in, uh, to some of the traditional things that we're used to doing and exactly. getting the, the best, like the best of both worlds. Yes. Coming yeah. to, coming to terms with both of those. Well, I want to ask you about, um, this idea of humility. And what strikes me, it strikes me about that is you're talking about people who are in, High-powered leadership. There's a lot of ego there. Yes, there's a lot of ego there. And I look at look at for my own, you know, my law career, and thinking of you know myself in my law firm and my colleagues that work at big law firms, big litigators, big egos. We've all got egos, or we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. But how do you balance the two attributes in order to, you know, really make an effective leader?
2: I don't think there's a conflict. Uh, one of the one of the things that's kind of counterintuitive about this idea of leader humility is that people may assume that it means meekness, and it does not. It's not about meekness or weakness. It's uh, picking up on an aspect of humility that is behavioral, and it's how we interact with each other. So I'm defining it uh, in a very simple way, which is our tendency to feel and display deep regard for another person's dignity. And dignity, of course, meaning your sense of self-worth. Every human being on the planet has and needs a sense of dignity. And I'm sure in your field of employment law, you've seen many cases where, yes, there's wrongdoing, and of course, some of it may be egregious. But there are other cases where charges are filed because of perhaps misunderstanding or things that were in a gray zone where someone became really offended. And what's happening in cases like that is often that their dignity has been violated. And in, in a leadership capacity, if the leader is very aware that every human being has and needs a sense of worth, then it guides how they're going to speak, how they're going to interact. Um, and, it, and it leads to different kinds of behaviors.
1: Well, I find that it's absolutely true. Yeah. It's been the case in my career. And I counsel my clients all the time on it's using different verbiage. So I talk about consideration, respect, and honesty. Consideration, the same sort of attributes as humility, right? Consider who it is, who's involved, how are they impacted? And showing respect, not you know, don't take this philosophy that, well, I'm not going to respect you unless you earn it. Sometimes yeah. res- respect is, you have to give it with grace. And I do think it's true because I've had clients who feel they've been morally wronged exactly. or humiliated. Yes. And they care far more about that in yes. some instances than the actual legal wrong that was done to them. Exactly. exactly. That's what they can't get over. And I talk about the idea that, even if you have to have a difficult conversation with an employee, a termination or a disciplinary action, if you do it with exactly. preserving as much dignity as you can with this person, it's going to go much better for both of you. Yes. yes. You're not going to impact that relationship and, and have to overcome it. Or, you know. I see Paul is giving us a signal. Paul is telling us we need to take a break. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more of Marilyn's thoughts on leadership during a crisis. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
3: The average time a resume spent at an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmeen, who was
1: living in a shelter juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach.
3: Or if that resume was from someone who
2: worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic? that I care
3: with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone. Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals, but I learned to push through and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to Grads of Life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council.
1: If you enjoyed today's show, do this, share us, like us, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It sure means a lot to us, and it ensures that more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Back everyone. We're talking with Marilyn Gist about leadership in a crisis. Uh, we were just talking about humility and ego, and I was asking Marilyn if she would share with us on the break. I was asking her if she would share with us um, a success story where she's. Seen this effective blending or not worrying too much about ego or something she's particularly proud of. So Marilyn.
2: Thank you. I could give so many examples, some of them from uh, consulting work I've done in organizations, um, from direct coaching, some from my classroom where I've worked with students over a two-year degree program and we see progress in this area. One example that comes to mind is actually a um, consulting client where I had been doing a different type of work in the organization, but there was an executive that was kind of crazy making for everyone. And the CEO had, this was a vice president, the CEO had talked with this person quite a bit and it wasn't making much of a difference. And um, I was, you know, asked if I could work with him uh, and see if I couldn't turn things around. And it was a little bit of a last ditch effort, but I did. And what was amazing was in his case, uh, the real issue was one of balanced ego. And also I talk about, do you, you know, under the, do you see me? There is this question of uh, recognizing the other person for who they are. And this particular executive had a tendency to be very boastful, Uh, he was arrogant in the sense of very proud of what he had done, of what his family had done, of where they'd gone to school, of all the great things they were doing, and would tend to talk to people at every opportunity about how wonderful all this was. And most people were comfortable listening to that for the first time or two or three or four. And then at a certain point, they really found it frustrating and they would just try to distance themselves. They couldn't get a word in edgewise. And it was starting to have a negative impact on the work because people didn't want to come talk to him at all about anything. And so we had some coaching sessions and it was actually a very easy thing to turn around. He didn't have other issues. But when I started to talk to him about other people's dignity and how important that is, he said, well, but I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of the things we've done. And my response was, it's not about wanting you to be less proud or less aware. It's realizing that there are other people leading as a relationship and you have power. And so when you initiate the talk about you, no one's going to interrupt you and fight you for airtime for that. But what people want to know is, do you see me? So if you start asking about their weekend, their family, the things that matter to them, they'll see you as much more interested in them and not, you know, very egotistical or focused on yourself. And there was a moment of pause when I said that, something like that. And he, he said, I never thought of that before. I just assumed that when you want to get people to like you and you make social conversation, you're cheerful and you just talk about the things that you do. And it had never occurred to him how one-sided that was. So he immediately began to change. I said, you know, if you if you reduce the amount you're talking about yourself to about one quarter of what you're doing, <laughs> and in, in turn, turn it around and ask people and pay attention and really listen and and learn from that. And so in his case, he made that shift and very quickly within a matter of a couple of weeks, you know, people started noticing uh, and and the tension just went out of the room and and things were healed very quickly with that. So that's just one example, but you know, there are so many before the break we were talking about employment law risk and this issue of people being morally offended, the thing with our sense of self-worth is that it can be violated when we feel someone doesn't respect us. You know, you certainly have dealt, I'm sure, with a number of cases of sexual harassment. You know, when we think about the hashtag Me Too movement that came out as some of the better known public figures uh, Mm -hmm. started to hit the media as having stepped over a line. At least they were accused of that. And then a number of women came out and said, yeah, me too, me too. I've been through that. And I think it is something that many, if not most women have experienced, and it's an issue that violates dignity. I think this is the piece. And when someone doesn't, when they're in a power down role, they don't feel they can stand up and say, hey, you know, you're disrespecting me by that kind of behavior. And I mentioned that because I've had so many male colleagues who say, Well, you know, you can't say anything, you're so fearful. But I think women know the difference. They know the difference in a casual comment made by somebody that might have been insensitive, but where that person really respects them uh, as much as possible, and someone who doesn't respect that line at all. Uh, and who makes comment after comment after comment. So, and I I think a real difference is about, do you have support for that other person's sense of self-worth, their dignity?
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, you're talking about being self-aware, which is an art in and of itself and a journey. But I also think that, you know, with regards to sexual harassment, In 2016, the EEOC came out with a report. They'd done a task force study on, in 30 years of Title VII, which prevents sexual harassment, uh, discrimination at the federal level, how successful were they? They were found that they had not been successful. And one of the reasons they had not been successful had to do with the fact that so much of the workplace had become unprofessional. Mm-hmm. And training on sexual harassment had come about, don't do this and don't do that. It came across as insincere. But one of the interesting things about that was one of their fixes was to introduce civility. So go back to essentially being professional. Right. Go back to showing a sense of dignity and showing respect for your colleagues such that you, you know, if you said those things like you said, they would understand that you respect them and, and there's some, there's some give and take there. But for those you don't know, and in situations where you probably shouldn't do those things, using your better judgment and being the better professional and not going there. Right, right. I just think that's really important. Um, And I think it's, there's a lot of trends going on. I could go on sexual harassment. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think that, I do think that there's really, there's really something to that. And I, I agree as a leader, that's really interesting that somebody would it's almost as you were speaking, I was thinking it's really a trick of being curious, of yes. cultivating your own curiosity about the people that you work with and the situations they find themselves in at work. And I'm not talking about getting personal, but just being more curious about the people
2: that you're working with. Yes, on, on a human level.
1: <laughs> yeah, I- absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we are getting ready to wrap up. Do you have any final thoughts, any tips you want to share with our listeners about? ways to, if some of our listeners are perhaps looking to ways to improve their leadership
2: skills, what would you share? I would share that leadership is a relationship. No matter how smart and how how smart you are, how great your ideas, if you're working alone on them, that's not leadership. Leadership involves working with other people. So you're in a relationship and the foundation for any healthy relationship really is what I call humility, that tendency to feel and display deep regard for another person's sense of self-worth. If you violate that, you've lost them. And on an employment level, they may stay if they need the job, but you're not going to get their best effort, their greatest enthusiasm, uh, unless you show that regard for them as a human being. So treating their dignity with uh, regard is important. It's something you can learn In the book, I I give a lot of do's and don'ts and ideas for action. Um, You know, there's a self-test on my website. People can kind of see where they need to focus. And there's six keys, six key sets of behaviors that help leaders get better at this.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise with, with us. I really appreciate it. We're going to have links to uh, Marilyn's website, as well as a link to Marilyn's book, where you can get a copy of that on our website as well. Um, you can learn more about Marilyn by visiting her website at www.marylandgist.com. You can also connect with Marilyn via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast. I also want to thank our listeners, My Radio Angels, James and the Nave at Night, our Workplace Team Extraordinaire, our engineer producer Paul Roberts, our associate producer Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Dean Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar.